This is Neil Romanek, and welcome to episode 7 of Nothing is Written, a Lawrence of Arabia notebook. This is a a podcast where we look at David Lean's film masterpiece, Lawrence of Arabia. We look at the uh, symbolism, we look at the filmmaking, we look at the writing, we look at the acting, we look at the directing, we look at everything. It's been a little while since the last episode, and uh, I've been busy doing a lot of other stuff, a lot of very interesting stuff. I've been at work uh, at Feed Magazine, um, producing that. Feed is a uh, monthly magazine that covers online and streaming media. And uh, I've been editing that. That's been going wonderfully. People love the magazine. But I've been remiss in doing this next this episode that I'm doing now. And the, and the fact is, I think I'm a, I was a little scared of doing this episode because this is episode seven. This is the first episode we're going to talk about um, Lawrence, and it's the the first scene where Lawrence speaks. So this really is kind of where we're we're launching into it. We're really getting into the movie here. Last week we talked about the memorial scene. Everybody's coming out of St. Paul's Cathedral, talking about Lawrence and who he is and what they thought of him and what their experience of Lawrence was and revealing a lot about themselves as they talked about who they thought Lawrence was. In this scene, the next scene coming up is where we finally see Lawrence for the first time. We hear his voice and we're introduced to the character for the first time. This scene is one of the great introductions to a character. If you want to study how to introduce a character, how to get a lot of information about a character into a really small space, uh, this is it. We'll just focus on this one scene. And what happens in the the previous scene, we've seen Donald Wolfett, the actor Donald Wolfett, playing General Murray. Somebody asks him, uh, did you know Lawrence? And he says, knew him? No, I never knew him. He had some minor function on my staff in Cairo. And there's this beautiful cut. We cut to Cairo. And it's this great leap backwards in time and a leap directly to Lawrence. And Lawrence's story. And we're going to look at these transitions throughout the, the our whole discussion. David Lean, a master director, a master, master image maker, but one of the great things in David Lean movies are the transitions, are the cuts. David Lean started as an editor and cut after cut after cut, edit after edit, especially between scenes, are amazing in David Lean films. So we're going to look at those as well. So General Murray has this line, bang, we cut back to Cairo. The first thing we see is Lawrence is there in the map room. He's painting. Uh, We don't see Lawrence at first. We just see this map of Arabia, and somebody's painting it. Somebody's using watercolors to paint the map, you know, meticulously painting it. There's some flies buzzing around there over the top of the map. And we cut from that close-up of Lawrence, or these hands, painting the map, we cut to a medium shot, and it's Lawrence sitting in this map room. The colors that he's painting this map with as well, um, you'll see he's got kind of gold and blue. He's kind of painting a kind of a gold color onto the, uh, you know, onto the, the deserty, sandy areas of the map, and blue color along the shore 
And these two colors, actually, this gold and blue, are going to be colors throughout the movie. In fact, those colors are Lawrence's colors, gold and blue, these blue eyes and this golden hair. And those are colors we'll see throughout the movie, the sort of blue of the sky and the gold of the sand. So we see this person there. It's Lawrence. We assume it's Lawrence because Murray has just been talking about Lawrence. We see this guy there and he's dips his brush in the water. And this tells us right away that Lawrence knows Arabia intimately. He works on maps. He looks at this country all day long. He looks at its little details. He knows the land. He knows it like the back of his hand. In fact, actually, um, the back of his hand, it's a bit of a, a joke, I assume is intentional. The way he's leaning on the table, there's the map, and then there's the back of his hand right by it as he's painting the map and putting little details on the map. So he does know this country like the back of his hand. And that's that knowledge is going to uh, pay off later. That's uh, That knowledge is the thing that brings him into the story and makes him who he is. So there's the sound, he hears the sound, he looks up, and we, we see that whoever this person is, it's Lawrence, uh, is in a cellar and kind of he's down at the bottom, he's starting down at the bottom, and he's looking up through this wall or th through this barred, like almost like a cell, like you're in prison, the barred windows of this basement room that he's in and a camel's going past and it puts us immediately in the place we go up oh, this is cairo camel where we're at least we're in the middle east somewhere there's a camel we're in cairo and we hear the sound of the camel the of the camel the first of many uh camel sounds that we'll hear there's some dynamite camel performances in this movie and we'll hear that sound of the camel that the camel sort of uh a tauntaun sound i guess we would say or is it the tauntaun sounds like a camel? Anyway, uh, that sound of the camel, that, that vocalization of the camel, we hear that over and over through the movie. And we hear it here for the very first time. Now that actually, it's actually the Gulf of Aqaba that Lawrence is painting in that very first close-up that we see. And of course, Aqaba is going to be tremendously important to the story. So we see that he knows, he doesn't just know Arabia, he knows the Gulf of Aqaba. He's looking at that map for hour after hour, painting it every little detail of it. There's also here a metaphor of him creating the country. It's like he's like a godlike figure looking down on this country with a little tiny fly specks kind of flying around, flies flying around on this map as he's doing it. He's looking down like a god, creating the country, bringing it to life with these colors, like some kind of divine being. So in a way, it's underlining this god complex that Lawrence has, this feeling of being superior. And it also foreshadows this obsession with creating a country that he's going to enact. So we see the camel go by, and we cut to a wider shot, and it's going to be this single shot is going to be the rest of the shot for the whole scene. The whole scene is going to be this shot only, and it's a masterclass in blocking. There's amazing blocking in this scene. The whole thing is all done in this one single shot with just characters moving around inside that frame. No cutting, no camera movement at all. And that static, that sort of stationary stillness is also part of what the character is now. It's still stationary. Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening in his life. He's down here in the basement, starting at the bottom in this still place. And it's very cool down here. And that contrast between coolness and heat that heat and fire being this 
place that Lawrence is going into. Lawrence is going into the desert. He's going into this furnace. And this is kind of the opposite of that. It's dark. It's cool. We see the fans overhead. And those are the only fans Lawrence has right now. He's got no fans at all. The only fans he has are the ones overhead spinning around, spinning and spinning in this cool place. So there's a two shot here. We see Lawrence on the right. On the left is another character, another officer working away on maps as well. And Lawrence says, Michael George Hartley, this is a nasty, dark little room. He says it in this very arch theatrical kind of way. And that tells us a bit about the character too. There's a sense of theatricality. There's a sense of irony. There's a sense of grandeur. He says his whole name, Michael George Hartley, addressing him almost like he's a thing. Like it almost, and it starts to sound a bit alien. And he does this throughout the scene. He addresses people by their full name. This also tells you that he kind of knows him well. You know, he's, he's saying his full name. It suggests a bit of intimacy that he, you know, he's known this guy for a while. But we'll hear these, uh, these British names, these very English names, and they're underlined here. It'll be Michael George Hartley, and then William Potter comes in, and then Captain Gibbon. These names will be underlined in a way, and you hear Michael George Hartley in a way that's being set up against the names you'll hear later, like Auda, Auda Abutai. You'll hear Auda Abutai, and it'll contrast in your head with this Michael George Hartley, William Potter, these very English names which against the backdrop of Arabia will almost start to sound peculiar. So Michael George Hartley is a uh, is somebody you probably should know. Not Michael George Hartley, the character, but the actor. So Michael George Hartley, who's this is the only scene in the movie he's in, he's in it for just this one, really just this one shot. He's only in one shot in the movie. And uh, the actor is Ian McNaughton. And he was a, a Scottish actor born in Glasgow. And was only in actually a handful of films. Lawrence of Arabia is kind of the last film of any significance that he was in. Um, he eventually became, soon after this, became a TV producer and director for the BBC. And what did he produce and direct, Ian McNaughton? Anybody? Anybody? Uh, Monty Python. Monty Python's Flying Circus. So Ian McNaughton went on to become pivotal in the creation of Monty Python. He was uh, he had directed some comedy series for the BBC previous to that, and I think it was uh, one of the Pythons had seen his work and said, "Oh, we should get him on." So he directed and produced almost all of the uh, Monty Python episodes, as well as um, their first film, and now for something completely different, which was kind of a best of the sketches that were on the show. So yeah, Ian McNaughton, Michael George Hartley. So Michael George Hartley. He's an everyman. He's a regular guy. He just he just wants to get through the war, keep his head down. He's absolutely fine with being in the map room, doing maps all day long, out of combat. He's an officer. It's a good gig. Kind of the complete opposite of Lawrence, who is very impatient with this whole thing, is not happy. This is a nasty, dark little room, he says. We are not happy in it. And he, he's using Lawrence, when he says that, is using the royal we kind of ironically, but, you know, we are not happy in it. He could mean both he and Michael George Hartley together, the two of them, and which Michael George Hartley answers, I am. But Lawrence also is saying, you know, like the royal we, we are not happy in it, as if he's uh, royalty. But Michael George Hartley, he doesn't have that, he doesn't have the impression of having idealism about the war. He's not a hero. He doesn't want to be a hero. Doesn't want any of that. So when Lawrence says, we are not happy in it, that is, we are not happy in this dark little room, this nasty dark little room. 
Michael George Hartley says, I am. It's better than a nasty, dark little trench. And Lawrence says back to him, then you're an ignoble fellow. Oldie times, if somebody called you a fellow, that meant you're just kind of a, you're a, you know, you're just, you're not a good guy. You're just a common jerk. You're just a fellow. You're not somebody extraordinary like me, Lawrence might say. And Michael George Hartley gladly says, yeah, that's right. I'm an ignoble fellow. Yep. It's all fine. It's all good. Very happy to be in this job. Don't want anything else. And there's uh, there's kind of name calling begins in this scene, or that is naming. So we talked about the names, bringing up these names of the officers in this scene, these English names, English sounding names, British names, and then also calling people things. So Lawrence calls him an ignoble fellow. He will also later call him a philosopher. There's names to people. What are who who people are? And identity is something that this film is going to be about throughout this whole movie. What people are called, what their names are, what their identity is or isn't, is going to be central. So check out the scene and notice how many times people are called something, or named as something, or labeled as something. Now in Lawrence calling Michael George Hartley an ignoble fellow. It's an interesting bit of projection because, of course, Lawrence it wants to be very noble. But he is also literally an ignoble fellow. Uh, his father is Sir Thomas Chapman. He talks about this later on. His father is a noble, is a, is a, is a sir. But Lawrence doesn't inherit that because he was born illegitimately. His, uh, Sir Thomas Chapman did not marry his mother. And so he was born out of wedlock and does not inherit that nobility from his father. So Lawrence is ignoble. He's had that nobility taken away from him. That is, maybe he feels is his birthright. That's part of the story here is this man chasing a nobility that he believes he has somewhere. So then another officer comes in, William Potter, and we hear him whistling. Lawrence says, ah, here is William Potter with my newspaper. It's not, here's Will, or here's Bill, or here's William, or here's Corporal Potter. It's like, here's William Potter, again, these full names, he's staying, he's saying these characters' full names. Again, it's almost like he's mocking them or treating them as if they're something outside of him. In any case, he's kind of separated himself from their lives. He's observing them. William Potter, Michael George Hartley, you peculiar creatures around me. So William Potter comes in, gives him the newspaper. Lawrence gives him a coin for the papers, and he's, oh, thanks. We see that Lawrence is generous, or at least he's fair. And while he does pay for his newspaper, he then says, would you care for one of Corporal Hartley's cigarettes? That is, he's giving away something that's not his to William Potter. And that is part of the character, too. That idea that he's giving away something that isn't his. And that is the whole story, is he's trying to give Arabia to the Arabs, but it's not necessarily his to give. So he looks at the, at the newspaper and, and reads it. Is it there? Says Michael George Hartley. They've obviously been talking about something. And Lawrence is like, yes, but I bet it isn't mentioned in the Times. Lawrence is someone who knows where to get the right information. He's getting information on a better level than most people. He's good at intelligence, we might say. And he reads the headline, Bedouin tribes attack Turkish stronghold. He reads the headline. And we see that he reads it right to left, which tells us that it's Arabic. We, can, we might be able to see it on the actual newspaper. But in case we don't know, he's translating it for the guys, that it's Arabic. And we go, oh, he knows Arabic. He's the only one who knows Arabic. 
And he says, I bet no one in this whole headquarters even knows that this happened. Which also tells you that you're in the headquarters. We don't know actually that you're really in the headquarters until he says that. And that tells us that Lawrence is clever. He's privy to special information. He's smarter than other people. And he's proud of the fact that he's smarter than other people. So then he lights William Potter's cigarette. And this is one of the first famous great moments in the movie that people always remember. He lights a cigarette and then he does his trick, which is to snuff out the match with his fingertips. And he does it very grandly. He does it like a magic trick. You can see him stretch out his arms so you can see there's nothing up his sleeve. And he very dramatically, theatrically, slowly snuffs out the match. And this is Lawrence too. It's a show. He's putting on a show. He wants to be the center of attention. He's the center of attention by putting himself on show by suffering. He's enduring pain or he's putting himself in danger and putting himself at the center of attention in doing that. And Michael George Hartley says, you'll do that once too often. It's only flesh and blood. And that's really advice Lawrence should have held on to. If, if only he had listened to Michael George Hartley in that moment, the whole, the whole rest of the movie wouldn't have happened. Maybe Lawrence would have been much happier. Probably not. But Lawrence believes that he is more than flesh and blood. So in response to that, Lawrence kind of mocks him. He says, oh, Michael George Hartley, you're a philosopher. Again, a name calling. You're a philosopher. And then William Potter says, and you're barmy, which means that he's crazy. And that word barmy, actually, which sounds weird coming from an American mouth, barmy. You know, it means flighty. It means crazy. It means kind of kooky. Uh, it actually comes from a word, uh, the word barm, which is apparently a froth on the top of like a beer or, a, you know, a, in brewing beer, stuff like that. The froth on the top of that was called barm at one point. So it means you're kind of, you're frothy, you're flighty, you're... There's also the, the suggestion even of alcohol, which is interesting because Lawrence doesn't drink, but maybe there's a suggestion of even drunkenness in that word. And Lawrence, though he doesn't drink, is drunk on lots of things throughout the movie. He's drunk on power, excitement, adventure, drunk on self-pity, he's drunk on physical pain. You name it, he's drunk on it throughout this movie. So there's a neat little detail. He says, uh, you know, Michael George Hartley, you're a philosopher, Lawrence says that. And he puts the paintbrush in his mouth. He kind of sucks on the brush. Now, there's a couple of things there. He sucks on the brush while he's looking at Michael George Hartley. There's... Could be vague, a vaguely sexual thing there, um, or just a, a slight undertone as he's looking at him. There's also something interesting about the tip of the paintbrush, the brush side in his mouth. There's an element of painting the world with your speech, or painting the world with your tongue, or your tongue being a brush, maybe. There's something, something like that with Lawrence. Um, Lawrence is someone who tries to create a country with his words, tries to paint a country with his words in the same way that he's literally painting that country with the brush. And it's just, there's a, it's a lovely image there that has, has resonance and suggests a bunch of different things with this idea of the brush, the paintbrush and his mouth. There's also in this scene and through this first couple scenes, and I mentioned last week about the, the Freudian uh, interpretation of stories and the Freudian symbolism that was you know, very popular in the mid 20th century for a lot of movies. I mean, Hitchcock is obviously the big example, but there's a, a lot of them. And throughout this whole 
seen its paintbrushes, its fingers, its cigarettes. Um, in the next scene, we're going to see uh, billiard cues and balls. And after that, we're going to see guns, lots of pictures of guns. <laughs> so, you know, you, you see where this is going. Uh, then there's spindles in this scene. There's, I'm not even sure what that thing is. If someone can tell me exactly what that peculiar device kind of right behind Lawrence is, I'd be interested in knowing. It's uh, it's kind of like a spindle. And it may just be, actually it may just be a spindle for running string off, you know, for measuring stuff. I'm not quite sure. But so there's a lot of stuff about these kind of, I guess it's kind of phallic symbols, but kind of small, tiny little phallic symbols throughout in this scene. In the next scene, uh, Dryden, the diplomat, will say, big things have small beginnings. And even he does a little finger thing, a little pointy finger thing when he does that. So in this scene, a lot of fingers. William Potter burns his fingers. Lawrence doesn't burn his fingers. And then actually at the very end of the scene, uh, William Potter, who's burnt his thumb trying to imitate Lawrence, is kind of holding up one thumb in pain and pointing his other thumb back at Lawrence as Lawrence leaves the room. So a lot of fingers, a lot of fingers and thumbs and cigarettes and paintbrushes and all that stuff. So Lawrence gets a message, a message arrives, he reads it, you can see him thinking, something is up, something has happened. And in the interim, as he's reading it, William Potter is trying to imitate Lawrence's match trick, and he burns himself. And he says, ah, oh, damn well hurts! To which Lawrence replies, but certainly it hurts, as he's leaving the room. Well, what's the trick then? William Potter asks. The trick... William Potter is not minding that it hurts. And it's a very famous line. It's also one of the most important lines in the movie. You know, the scene ends with that line. It kind of launches this into the rest of the movie. And that's one of Lawrence's key traits is not minding that it hurts. And this ability to push himself through pain, push himself through pain after pain after pain after pain, and taking pleasure in the pain. You could say that his success is based on not minding pain. In fact, his success is probably based on enjoying pain and being seen to be enjoying that pain. And the trick, he talks about the trick. What's the trick then? The trick, William Potter. We get from that that Lawrence is a trickster. There's a lot of stuff about tricks and tricking people and fooling people and lying to people, as well as it being like a magician's trick. Ta-da! But that idea of Lawrence tricking people is going to come up again and again. There's also trick as in something that a prostitute does. And that subtly is lurking there too throughout the movie in the notion of trick when you hear the word trick. So Lawrence gathers his stuff. He's walking out the door. He says, you know, if Captain Gibbon should inquire for me, tell him I've gone for a chat with the general. This is his superior officer. And he's putting it in this way, this casual way, like, oh, if that guy comes and asks for me, his superior officer, just tell him I'm out talking to the general. And it's Lawrence, you know, completely defying authority, not being able to bear authority. And we can imagine him, you know, wanting to tweak Captain Gibbon's nose. We never actually see that character. Sort of suggesting that Lawrence is a superior to Captain Gibbon. And we like that in a character. When, you know, that's a, over and over you see that in, in movies. The, the character who rebels against authority, who just can't fit in with an authoritarian hierarchy, an authoritarian structure... And that shows Lawrence is one of those characters, too, right, right away in the scene. So that's another thing we're given about Lawrence that helps us to immediately like him and identify with him. 
Also, on a deeper level, in Lawrence's case, this it's this dismissal of authority that is part of Lawrence's narcissism, um, and that that narcissism where a person is is absolutely unable to admit that they're lesser than anybody, and that of course is Lawrence throughout the movie is being incapable of imagining or admitting or articulating the fact that he could he could be inferior to anybody. Off Lawrence goes, and as he's going away. William Potter does, you know, he's barmy, he says again to him, pointing his thumb with the thumbs, all about the thumbs, back at him. Michael George Hartley says, no, he's all right. And those two poles are what Lawrence has caught between being barmy, being crazy, and being all right. And we get these two different viewpoints of Lawrence, two different opinions of him, just like we got in the last scene after Lawrence's memorial service and his death, with all the people coming out of St. Paul's giving their opinions about who he was. We see Lawrence through all these different characters' eyes. And it's a great way to introduce a character and to get the complexity of a character is to see him through different characters' eyes and see what those characters say. Now, as he's, we're, we're talking about transitions and the amazing transitions that are in all David Lean movies. But Lawrence is heading up out of the room here and he's heading up the stairs for the stairs that go up and we get this sense that he's down at the bottom and he's rising up to the top and as he goes out we see there are in the back of the room these red buckets on the wall bright reds kind of the only bright red you see in the sea and it's kind of right in the center these bright red buckets and what they are they're fire buckets and they're for putting out fires and of course what are they filled with they're filled with sand right they're filled with the desert and it's interesting having those there while Lawrence is doing his fire trick, snuffing out the match with his fingers behind him. There are these big red buckets of sand which are used for dousing out fires. And so in this transition, next what we'll see, Lawrence goes out of the room, then we cut to the officer's bar, and Lawrence coming into the officer's bar. And as Lawrence leaves this scene, he's right back by those red fire buckets. And as we cut to the next scene, the first thing that we see behind Lawrence as he enters is this bright red fez worn by the bartender. And the bartender's leaning right towards us, and we see his the top of his fez, this big, quite striking bright red fez. It's, it's a detail, but it does pop out at us because it is this bright red blob in the middle of the frame, right in the same area. And it doesn't necessarily have to mean anything or have to have a whole lot of significance. Although you could say that fez is like a fire bucket turned upside down. The Egyptian bartender wearing the fez and in this particular position has been, his fire has been put out, has been snuffed out with this job where he wears a fez working for the British. If nothing else, it's really just this nice visual transition that red takes you out of one shot and brings you into the next shot, into the next scene. So it's a great opening scene, huge amount of information about the character in one scene, in one shot, literally. If you look at the script, Robert Bolt's original script, it's broken down into quite a few different shots. It's kind of medium shots, there's some close-ups, kind of some back and forth, there's some panning. And of course it's much better this way to have this sort of static shot to start the movie. And starting from that static point, the movie moves. It'll move forward and move forward from this static point. And it gives David Lane a chance to just show off what a brilliant director is and how much he can do just within one static frame. So I hope that was interesting and useful. Let me know what you think. Always happy to hear your thoughts. Leave a comment in the comment section of whatever you happen to be uh, listening to this on. This uh, is on YouTube, but of course, we're also available on all major podcast platforms. We also have a Patreon, and that is at patreon.com slash auworks, 
all one word, and we would love to have your support so that we can upgrade our tech, do a lot of other cool stuff, and offer you some more interesting additional content. You can follow me at Twitter at Rabbit and Crow, and you can also follow this podcast at Twitter at Zero Is Written, all one word. So thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you next time.